Right over, honey, Mort. It's just. Oh, how good's the bloody new setup, Ricky? I just sit back and enjoy mine. It's getting there, mate. Mate, she's all happening today. Yeah, a bit of it. MNA Evolution win the race that we didn't really know was happening for North Parks. It was on. Uh, it was going on in the background for a while. There was plenty of mm. articles in the AFI. It'd gone quiet for plenty a for, word on the decline for a little while, but it was no secret that CMOC wanted to pass this one on. Mm. Uh, looking forward to getting into how a majority copper mine gets to lower a gold all in sustaining cost. Anyway, we'll <laughs> get, we will get into that. Trav, you got a, another one of your little passions to go through today. I can't help myself, mate. I um, yeah, I, I normally have a bit of a. A market cap filter, but I always break that rule for the for the beautiful potash industry, Matty. You know, the potash industry should thank you and you alone because if you weren't here, oh, JD, would you cover it? I wouldn't even I'm not I'd... sure he's done it any sort of favours. He just covers it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's two worlds colliding yeah, as well as administration <laughs> as well as the potash <laughs> if, project. If Trav wasn't here, you wouldn't you wouldn't even get highlighted. <laughs> so um, anyway, cheers, Trav. No worries, uh, mate. Mate, and tomorrow – we're go- we were going to do TMT AVL, but we're going to save that one, eh? Yeah, yeah. I think um, shareholder revolt, mate. Everyone's trying to block deals, including shareholder revolt, including now disgruntled shareholders trying to band together. So their scheme booklet dropped today. I started reading it this Arvo um, before we ripped, and I think there's a, an interesting story to tell there, which we'll tell tomorrow. Oh yeah, and I might even do old old Blackstone bloody nickel oh. acquisition. <laughs> oh, old Zipo. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happened after the Zipos didn't get approved. We'll go through that tomorrow too. Right, now, clarification from yesterday's episode. I don't know if it's like a pure clarification, but interesting. You're talking about the IRA stuff and the new rules. It was There were different news centres reporting it very differently. So initially in the upload yesterday we put that uh, places like Green Greenbushes and Mount Marion would be affected because of the Chinese subsidiary ownership, but then so that's how the AFR reported them. But then Bloomberg, on the other hand, reported that if it was, it had to be Chinese government owned, and that Chinese subsidiaries that weren't government controlled, it didn't apply. So we got we went bloody. At six o'clock last night, me and JD flying the flag for the money miners went deep into the government report. Um, but we did, and it, it was a definition thing. So the, there was a definition for what a foreign entity was, but then late, further down there was a separate definition of what of a foreign entity of concern was. Yeah, that's right. So and that's, it, it, it is a draft; it's out for comment at the moment as well. So these aren't finalised either. But yeah, it remains to be seen. We've even reached out to more people today, and they've told us a few uh, contradicting ways of interpreting the the draft that's been put out. So it remains to be seen what it actually looks like. But if you want a bit of a guide, you can look at the CHIPS Act, which came out, you know, in the the past year and a half as well. Not the IRA, but they also have that definition of foreign entity of concern within the CHIPS Act. Yeah. And in there it's explicit that um, all FEOC parent company subsidiaries and investments are covered by it. So I think the, the majority inference that is out there in the market is that you know, the, the guidelines, once they're finalised and rinsed through the market, the intention of those guidelines will probably be to exclude, you know, the green bushes structure from from um, eligibility of uh, IRA compliance. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, we'll give further info when it's all not draft and finalised. So Absolutely. That's why it was taken out. We just just in case. We've got to, you've got to be quick in this industry, JD. She's all going the news centre. Anyway, mate. right. Mate, I did. A Google search. I was I was thinking, what rabbit hole could Google, Google take me down? And it was, I typed in mining sustainability news. 
or go outside my realm of interest usually, these things come up. And you know why it's pertinent? Why? Because of this guy, <laughs> Benny Swan. Have a look at his face. <laughs> so you look at these news articles I found, and I'll tell okay. you why it's pertinent. Tell look me. at this. EPA yeah. launches criminal proceedings against New Crescadia Goldmine for alleged air pollution. Bad news. If you swipe in this guy now, and he was involved, probably not in the news at all. No, wouldn't have happened. Wouldn't have happened. Deep sea mining, a new gold rush, or environmental disaster. Ben Swan, I'd class him as a deep sea mining expert. Yeah, and like you, you have him on your team. Headlines that don't, like that don't pop up. Slap on the wrist for Rio Tinto and Fortescue after breaching environmental regulations in WA. I don't see Rio Tinto or Fortescue on the previous client list for future proof. If they were, hmm. wouldn't be in the news for that sort of stuff. You bring in this guy, Benny ben Swan, Swan, all sorted. Mate, with a surname like Swan, you're pretty in touch with the, you know, ecological, um, you know, factors of Perth. Exactly. He, he did a lot of his um, deep sea mining sort of initial research, <laughs> trialling it in the Swan River. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. where, where the it's name learned, Ben yeah. Swan come from. So, look, anything ESG, we've already touted Ben Swan as the ESGC of the industry. <laughs> Mate, if you need sustainability framework done up, because Jesus Christ, I know from experience that sustainability framework is an absolute maze to go through. You don't <laughs> want to go down that road without some expert advice from people like Ben Swan at Future Proof. Give him a buzz. You got lost in that maze, Matty. Oh, I needed Ben Swan. He actually come in and got me out of it. That's what he does. <laughs> what a bloody legend. We should put Sandfire and uh, Future Proof in touch after their latest events in the in the past week. What were they, Jody? Uh, they destroyed some heritage artifacts. Oh, the one at Degrusa. Near Degrusa. Yeah. Yes. Well, another another example if Ben Swan was involved, likely wouldn't, wouldn't be talking had, about wouldn't it. Wouldn't be no. talking about it. Oh, speaking of other GCs in the industry, if if not being the RC drilling and rock hand rock breaking experts was enough, the fact that K Drill have now expanded into the diamond drilling division in the surface, courtesy of the bloody great man Steve <laughs> Swallow that's on the board, on board now. He's on board. He's he on board. He's on the board. He is the board. He's he, swallowing up the company. They're swallowing you, the competition. You could say he got bored of his last stuff. Yeah. And then now he's on the board of <laughs> K-Drill. He's on board. Right. What an, what an offering. What do you reckon the K stands for in K-Drill? Kalgoorlie, isn't it? I'm not sure. I think it's cow. Okay. I think it's Kalgoorlie or crushing. Capable with a K. <laughs> crushing with a K. <laughs> crushing with a K. Do you think there's a bit of um, who's the big dog in town contest going on between old Swallow rocking up and obviously Ryan O'Sullivan, the incumbent sort of big wig at K Drill. Um, mm. It's it's the new and the old, but the, you've got to have you've got to be able to you know. Pass down the wisdom. They could do week on, week off of who's the big dog, like go on sort of a cycled roster. Because I don't know, that much sort of excellence in the building at one time, like mm. you can't have two Chris Ellisons at min res. If they were to arm wrestle, who'd win? It's like, <laughs> I I think it wouldn't even get to the arm wrestle stage because Swallow's hand would be broken <laughs> off just on the exchange of hands when Ryan gets a hold of him. Mate, to the exchange of hands. Mate, if you, if you want to go see a live arm wrestle, 
at K Drill <laughs> headquarters. There's one happening next week. And while you're there, you'd be stupid not to ask about the diamond drill rigs <laughs> they got there for the surface. And or the, the RC rigs as well. Or the RC rigs. Don't forget that. Mate, and <laughs> next sw- week's ad. Swallow and Ryan. Just an arm wrestle. <laughs> yeah, there is a live arm wrestle happening this week. I've just scheduled it. Go see the two big dogs, Steve Swallow and Ryan O'Sullivan. Jesus Christ, I'll sort you out some bloody holes. Just don't shake Rhino's hand. Don't shake. Just be aware when you go in and don't let him get you short because it fucking hurts. All right. Thanks, K-Drill and Future Proof. Legends. ESGCs and GCs of the industry. (laughs) Right, let's get into morning news. We better not forget that, JD. M&A again, mate. M&A. Your favourite. Evolution buys North Parks. If ever there was an asset that had Evolution's name on it, then North Parks was it. 150 buck all in sustaining costs. That's just screaming evolution. All, <laughs> is that the cheapest gold mine going around? No, no, no. no, no. Uh, Ernest it's, Henry. Ernest Henry, mate. Oh, Negative. Oh, who owns that? Evolution. evolution. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. How do they – let's figure out how they get their costs yeah. so low. Mate, What? how many bucks they pay, JD? So they paid US $400 million for this up front plus so a – 400 bucks. <clears throat> 400 bucks. US. US bucks. And up to 75 bucks in contingent payments. So about 600 Aussie bucks. Uh, Six, yeah, 600 Aussie is the upfront component. Yeah. And then we'll get into the um, – We'll go right into it later. Yeah, well, yeah. Maddie, I can see you've done a dive well, into the history well, of – interesting, the, the uh, looking at who was actually going for it, the AFR reports today, beat they beat Metals Acquisition Corp. And apparently Sandfire and Eris were looking at it as well. But pulled yeah. out early. Yeah. yeah, pulled out. Weren't actually in the final final stage. So, um, Mate, I'd hope to step on your toes here. You've gone into the history and uh, – did, did you ask me to do it? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> Another one of my little crusades. I think I actually told you the history of this one's fascinating, so you should, <gasps> why, you should why dive into it. Yeah, so it's, it's – people know it for Rio Tinto. Yeah. But – I didn't know that. Didn't you? I actually did not know yeah. that. So yeah. it was the first ever block cave mine in Australia yeah. and, and under under Rio Tinto, but it was caving before that. So And it's, uh, it sits in New South Wales for those yeah, wandering. Yeah, in parks. Oh, uh, probably one of the coldest places in the bloody world. It is freezing. I had a hockey carnival there once. <laughs> Fucking, it's where the, sat at the bloody dish is. Yeah, okay. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, that's the dish. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm. in parks. So the original company that, had it, it like had it to get it approved it into um into operation was North Limited. So mm-hmm. they approved it, approved the block cave and the open cut mines and concentrator in nineteen ninety two. Yep. So North then North Limited subsequently formed the joint the North Parks joint venture with Sumitomo Metal Mining and Sumitomo Corporation, which we will go back to because they are also Still, they remain twenty percent owners. That is, yeah, should be twenty percent. Evolution are buying the eighty percent. So that's they. They've been in there for a while. So that was obviously for the downstream smelting and refining capability. So as I said, first ever block cave mine in Australia. But there was a very unfortunate tragedy at North Parks in nineteen ninety nine. So this was um, a year before Rio bought it. There were four workers killed from an air blast there. So the you're looking at the coroner report, there was 14.5 million tonne of material collapsed from the roof of the cave and sent an air blast through the entire mine. And actually, it could have been a lot more fatalities because it actually happened during a maintenance shutdown. So there are, there are only 65 people underground at the time. So there could, there could have been a lot more. And because two of the workers that passed away were actually conducting the hydraulic fracturing, 
of the cave to help it cave. Um, so, and they, the coroner report said they were actually, they deemed that the mine was maintaining a production rate a lot too fast for how much the cave was breaking into it. So, because there's that big gap, all that material let go and that air has to go somewhere and just blew, went through the whole mine. So, yeah, massive, massive tragedy. Horrible. So, one of the, one of the sayings you always hear in the mining industry is procedures are written in blood. So, which means that a lot of the cave monitoring and the real strict conditions on cave monitoring are because of this incident. So every procedure on a mine site is either because someone's been hurt or someone's mm. been been killed. So that's um, that's why they're so strict on making sure there's monitoring of to make sure that there's no big void and the cave is actually propagating. So, yeah, very sad. One year after that, that's when Rio Tinto then acquired North Limited. $3.5 billion takeover. And uh, there was a take it big battle with Anglo-American. Was this the sole asset at the No, oh, so no. North, North this wasn't even this was okay. This wasn't even what they were after, really. So right. it, the takeover was motivated by the so North Limited in 1999 proposed they wanted to get have the Rio Tinto's Pilbara Pilbara Railway line, like the network, declared as open access. So Rio Tinto just thought, oh, we'll just take you over then. Because the big assets at play were Robe River, Iron Ore Mine, which then expanded into West Angeles. So you're about, I think that's West, the huge, huge operation. Yeah. Um, they also had the Iron Ore Company of Canada, IOC. So that's, I think Rio Tinto have still got that. Um, then you also had the Ranger Uranium Mine. Mm. So that come out of North Limited, also known as ERA, then North Parks as well. There's what a mismatch of yeah, sort mm. of mines. yeah. So they're pretty pretty decent sized uranium, company. iron ore, and copper. Yeah. So Rio Rio took it over um, by 2012. It had a it had a capacity of 6.4 million ton per annum, and it was the they fully automated the mine, the haulage. So the bogging and the haulage in 2015 from their E48 cave. So they were sort of I think they were one of the early adopters of automation because it's a hoisting system and everything. So then um, CMOC, mm -hmm. which we'll go into, China Molybdium, uh, yep. you will pronounce it better than me, they acquired Rio's 80% stake in 2013 um, for $820 million. So CMOC were the ones that did the automation, not Rio, sorry. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so 2022 it's expanded it to what it is today, 7.6 million tonne per annum. And yep. they're uh, permitted to go to eight and a half. So have a look. But you have a look at the grades that have come out. This is for a five-year period, four-year period back in up to 2021. Half a percent copper, 0.54% copper and 0.17 grams per tonne gold. So it's not uh, yeah. on the on the lower end, but... yeah. You normally look at that and think, geez, that's not economic, but because it's a cave and the geometry of the ore body and everything like that, it, yeah. they make it they make it work, right? I've got a special I went deep into Excel out of my wheelhouse today, boys, <laughs> and we'll get to that later and figure out is this a low cost operation or not, based on the figures evolution gives. So yeah, but huge resource. Hundred and one million tons in reserves and six hundred and twenty eight million ton in resource. So at that current mill run rate, it's like What's that bloody 13 years of reserves plus five times as that in resource? So it's a long life asset. Big copper gold porphyry deposit. It's yep. massive. So, JD, what is the deal, mate? 
Yeah, just on the on the mine life, they advertise it as a thirty year mine life. We'll round yeah. out on a couple other aspects of the the deal itself. So they're going to produce a, a concentrate with silver, gold, and copper. The copper con offtake terms are standard. To quote the the call this morning, the gold and silver is in a stream to triple flag, which we'll get into later. They're also raising Aussie five hundred twenty five million through an Insto equity raise, another $60 million in a share purchase plan, as well as $200 million Aussie in a five-year debt facility. So the repayments on that will only start in the third quarter of FY25. So, Maddie, you've gone through a lot of the uh, the details there. One other thing to note with the, the resource and reserve is that it wasn't JORC compliant. CMOC obviously not being an ASX-listed company, they didn't have to play to those rules. In terms of FY24 guidance, they're talking about 25,000 tonnes of copper as well as 38,000 ounces of gold. So on the uh, the mill capacity, 7.6 million tonne per annum is what they are running at at the moment. It was interesting to hear Jake and the team on the call say that they were, you know, they were very keen to play down the expectation that they would get up to 8.5 million tonnes anytime soon. They didn't want any analysts factoring in those bigger numbers mm. and building in expectation. I think that's a good way to sort of play analyst, you know, keep the expectations low and beat them on the upside. I think because I, have that, I didn't know, I might be wrong here, but my, most of the previous production looked at around the six and a half rate. I think even from what they're doing now to get to the seven and a half yeah, is Yeah, so, so pre last year, it'd been six and a half million tonne per annum for, for quite a while. So from underground, my understanding is that it runs at a six and a half million tonne per annum rate yeah. and that you can periodically using stockpiles and open cut mining – Get to seven yeah, and a half million uh, tonne. Easier to crush to send us through. Yeah. It, exactly. So something else they were quite eager to stress on the call is that plenty of capital has been sunk already. And that, that's just how block cave works. You've got to once – not that yep. all of this is block cave, but majority it is, but the main cave they're going to be drawing from at the start, it's all just big decline, two levels at the bottom, you're undercutting your extraction level. Once it's in, you're just bogging. There's a bit – might be a bit of rehab and um, – popping oversize and stuff, but it is what you define as a rock factory. No mm. no jumbo development. Once it's set up, there might be small bits here and there of rehab, but it's just a rock factory. Yeah. yeah. So the, the big bits of CapEx will be when they want to bring on new ones. You can see from a, one of the maps will show up, there's these sort of pods that just go deep into the earth. There's plenty yeah. of them. So big CapEx bill. I mean, we'll, we'll have heard plenty of times in the past and in the future, acquirers invariably say that this asset has a lot of sunk capital. That's just what companies say when they're buying something to... Yeah, well, this, to, is, this is actually yeah. genuine sunk capital. Yeah. There's a hoisting system. Yeah. You're just down there bogging rocks. It's not like typical long-haul open stoping where you've got to continuously do more development. Yeah, you've got to do levels and levels. Yeah. This is just mining the whole block. But there will be, as you said, for the other pods, yeah. the other systems they will there have... Is additional um, capital, there. capital put in because yeah. they're talking about a lot of yeah, – yeah, so I'm talking about um, one being a potential block cave or sub-level cave. So it's whether Evolution want to allocate the capital to turn that into a block cave and delay that because you've got to get right to the bottom and develop the whole thing or sub-level cave is not as optimum but you start getting ore straight away. Yep. So it's how they're going to treat – if they're going to treat this asset like a BHP or a Rio or they're going to treat it like a – sort of set, set, not a second tier miner, but a mid to large cap. Absolutely. So 
We touched on the uh, the all in sustaining cost of 150 bucks per ounce. So, what a bargain! Yeah, oh. hilarious. Um, well, I, think, I think a while back, Cadia actually went into negative. Yeah, one yeah, stage. just like Ernest Henry. <laughs> I mean, <that's> free. <laughs> yeah. So, Maddie, you you jumped into whether we should be looking at this as a copper mine or a gold mine. It's you know, it's, it's quite obvious, but yeah. Well, we, when you look at the actual, if you just go off the predicted ounces and predicted copper tons times it by the commodity price. The copper revenue, it doesn't include payabilities and everything, but the copper revenue is nearly triple what the gold revenue is. So quoting this all in sustaining cost as a dollar per ounce and taking off the copper credits, uh, when it is a copper mine, it is a copper mine. Um, it's it's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, and you and you compared the uh, the mining cost just to put this sort of operation in comparison with a, a Liontown, Kathleen Valley type well, of project. Well, like... I've, I learned how to back solve all in sustaining costs today to convert it into C1 costs with the help of my good friends here. But let, I'll bring up the bloody spreadsheet. So if you look, so it says they got it all in sustaining costs 150 bucks an ounce. And then <laughs> well, it just highlights how dumb that metric is. Yeah, an it, exactly. So to, to convert it back, you got to the all in sustaining costs has had the copper, copper credit taken off the actual all in sustaining cost to convert it into a gold all in sustaining costs. So you got to like, they put a, it's in the fine print down there how they fit, you figure out the actual gold equivalent um, to convert the copper into it. So it does, well, if you use seven and a half million tonne per annum, it comes out. Feel free, anyone that thinks I haven't calculated it right, let me know, but I'm pretty sure it's bloody right. <laughs> C1 cost per tonne of $42 Australian per tonne. Well so done, that is bloody. Cheap. Per tonne of ore. They're, they're per, per tonne of yep. ore, they're hoisting out yep. a seven and a half million tonne per annum rate. So, so the big question you, is what's their net smelter return per per tonne of ore? Well, that specific, Trav, well, JD's done the work on that and we're speculators put a big tweet up, so we'll leave that for him. JD will tell us if it makes <laughs> money or not. So if you and you break because you look at the actual and everyone says like what's the dollar per ton? You see the C one cost. So if you look at the old um, CMOC operating costs, I'll just use the the ratio that yeah they use for mining, uh, underground, open pit processing, and G and A. So it comes out at the un, the underground will be about eleven bucks a ton to per ore. So you you look at like. Remember, Line Town came out with their increased costs. Remember, they've got jumbo development trucks hauling up people in the trucks, people in the boggers, and they were looking at about a hundred bucks a ton. So it shows all this sunk capital and this rock factory what that does to the actual underground mining costs. This is predicted, but this is based on yep. some back of the envelope, pretty bloody close. But yeah, eleven around eleven bucks a ton, or sixteen total for open pit and underground. So very, very yep. cheap to actually operate it. But remember, it's half a gram, yeah. half a percent copper and 0.1 yeah. and a bit gram gold. So you need to operate it cheap to actually yeah. make sure you get the money out of it. And of course, you do have to put the upfront capex to get that development into mm. the ground. And and it's residential. So you haven't got planes, you haven't got accommodation. Everyone just lives there. It's a local workforce. Um, so that obviously helps with it as well. So a lot on the side there. So before we dive in a bit more into what the, uh, you know, what the metrics look like, we should touch on the stream they've done with triple flag. So as a quick reminder, stream is just essentially selling the right for somebody else to buy your, your product. In this case, the, the gold and the silver at a set or at a specified price. So you're getting upfront capital and you're selling it generally for a, a huge markdown. So how did the stream come about this triple flag one, right? 
So CMOC essentially wanted more cash. I think they got in the region of 550 million and whether that was to develop, I didn't look into more, but perhaps that was to develop other parts of, of the mine. They wanted that upfront capital. They were focused on the copper. They didn't stream that away. So they streamed part of the gold. So they streamed, exactly. They streamed all of the silver and uh, a percentage of the gold. So for the gold, they're streaming away 67.5% up to 630,000 ounces. And then after that, the percentage halves. So for the streamed amount, they'll get 10% of the spot price. And then for the remainder, the other 32.5% of the gold that they sell, they'll get the normal spot price. Mm. On the silver front, like I said, they are streaming out 100% of the silver. Yep. And that goes up until they've streamed out 9 million ounces. After that, that halves as well. And similar to the gold, they're going to get 10% of the spot price gotcha. in return. So effectively for roughly the next 17 years or so on that on the gold front, they are producing 13-ish thousand ounces of gold. That's attributable to evolution <laughs> after you take in the uh, so streaming. <laughs> given, given that, do you think we should be thinking of our unit costs in relation to gold or in relation to copper? <laughs> I think you can put two and two together there, Trav. <laughs> but this so, is the evolution playbook, right? Yeah, and there's also a tax advantage on the, the reporting front of, of that stream, which we won't get into. That's a bit more detail. So onto the, the sort of analysis around the price. In one of the um, opening few pages of the deck that they sent out, they quoted an EV to EBITDA using FY23 EBITDA of a seven-time multiple. So that was EBITDA of US $107 million and an EV of US $756 million US dollars. So we obviously spoke in a, about an acquisition price. It was quite different to that. So it's a bit confusing at first when you look at that EV and you think, how did they get that? So what they're using is US $400 million upfront payment. They're not talking about the contingent payment at all. Mm-hmm. And then they're using a US $356 million fair value of the stream liability. So is that roughly- Treating it as debt. Yeah, exactly. That roughly $350 million is treated as debt. So you add it to the upfront payment to get your roughly $750 million, which they've used. Can they, can they get themselves out of the stream? Could they pay their way out of it or not? I'm not sure about the contractual terms of a, of a buyback. I didn't see anything about that, but um, for all intents and purposes, like you could pr- probably offer, uh, you know, triple flag something, but given they are a royalty and streaming company, like you'd have to pay them top buck. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like we well, spoke about a $550 million going the other way price tag. On the method that these guys use, I don't like it. You're, you've got to trust the fair value of the uh, of the stream and you're also looking back at last year's earnings. So I don't think it's a, a perfect measure. You'd rather just look at what you've actually paid and look at the EBITDA or whatever earnings metric you want to use and see what you're actually going to earn. Attributable, yeah. Yeah, so that's a what's, what's bit your, of it. Yeah, price, price to cash flow, whatever, yeah. Exactly. So we could say that they're paying US $400 million and not use the contingent you know, factor in a, a slightly lower copper price, considering that those contingent payments are contingent on the copper price rising. That's roughly 600 million Aussie. And then you could use a lot of the uh, assumptions or um, terms that they've put forward on recoveries, grade, payability, treatment and refining cost royalties and so on. Then apply the actual stream. We won't go through like all the numbers. Maddie, you quoted a, a rough cost before. You could subtract that to get a margin and then 
you know, assuming That's that the annual cash flows. Yeah, exactly. Assuming the the run rate of seven and a half million ton per annum, you could get a margin in the sort of vicinity of fifty million bucks per annum, Aussie, and we're talking about a, a six hundred million Aussie price price that you're paying. You're coming out at uh, roughly twelve times. Obviously, they're they're fairly rough numbers that we're using, but it's a pretty significant multiple. But it is in line with a lot of the other acquisitions that we've been talking about in the past. So, yeah, when you get into like why did Evolution buy North Parks and you know some other thoughts that we've got about this, yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is it's a it's kind of like a marketing thing the way I think about it. <laughs> they can put themselves front and center on their presentations as having a super low all in sustaining cost. They'll screen cheaply on all these metrics. People looking to just allocate blindly to the gold sector will say, hey, these guys look like a low-cost producer. I'll allocate to them. It's 100%. We, we talked about this with Jake Klein when we um, interviewed him. Yeah. We sort of you know, dug into the whole – when th- people think of evolution, they think of our lowest cost, you know, yeah. um, gold producer. But it's it's when you think of it in these rudimentary terms, like all in sustaining costs, which is – you know, a delusional way to actually think about cash generation because of the way that the copper credit kind of feeds into this stupidly low number when in reality, evolution quarter on quarter is losing cash. 100%. It's <laughs> a, um, it, it doesn't actually reduce your overall costs. It's just an, an appearance thing. Yeah, but it works. Like it works. It gives them like a, a um, you know, they traded a, a far greater multiple than peers because of, I think this perception and maybe the copper exposure and all, all the rest too. Yeah, um, so- and, on the, on the copper exposure, that's another great point. Their FY24 guidance now factors in about 30% of the revenue coming from copper. So there's been a bit of a theme that we've spoken about, gold companies bidding for and trying to buy copper assets. That's not going away anytime soon. You've got the added benefits of broader investor appeal. You know, perhaps it falls into the mandate more of generalist investors. It's also, you know, just a, a bullish statement on where copper prices are going at the moment. So the, the last thing I want to make comment of about this acquisition is the multiples being per, the multiples being paid for by companies in the copper space. So that roughly 12 times, like we said, it's not the first time we've seen it. My opinion is that Evolution aren't buying North Parks, assuming copper stays at 3 bucks 80 They've got the added benefits of all the marketing and, and all that that we've just touched on, but they're clearly quite bullish on copper. They haven't streamed away granted that was all factored in from deals that CMOC had done in the past but I think that they're bullish on where copper is going and they want to get more exposure to that thesis as well as all the other reasons that we've just stated so Mm. with that all in sustaining cost the streaming and everything are they going to make money from the asset (laughs) yeah I think I mean like whether it looks like the asset will make money right but the question is not will it just make money. The questions is is like, will, will it make money? And if you MPV the you know future cash flows of the money it makes, does it equal the price you paid for it? Yeah, and is the price that's, million? Is that's the price? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Is the price you paid justifiable? You know, that's that's the question to ask, and time will tell. You can't you can't say that right yeah. now, but um, there's definitely a trend though, right? Of like um, people loving the long life copper assets, and they're willing to trade these you know pretty high. Willing to pay these high premiums, like twelve times for for a mining asset, is um is not very common. Like definitely not very common. But you're willing to do it if you're getting the optionality that comes with like a thirty year, whatever mine life. Um, because yeah, if you take a a, a buoyant view on copper market, then you you expose yourself to 
um, the the super profits in the periods of time when when you have elevated pricing, and if you also have expansion optionality on top of that, then your returns can look even more attractive. Is is a paying a multiple like that? Can that be a reflection on not needing as much capital to put into the project? They will have to put capital in eventually, but straight up they don't. Does that affect? how you perceive the multiple yeah I, I mean our multiple for clarity doesn't actually factor in your, what your sustaining capital is that's basically like an operating cash flow multiple that that jd's like plucked out there but you're 100 right your, your your best analysis is a price to free cash flow um uh, multiple if you were to do a multiple in which case you'd factor in your sustaining capital each year which you and know your, to your point and your growth capital yeah which, i mean life yeah. of mine yeah you'd mp yeah. at all and to, to your point that's actually going to be Net net lower than than other types of mines. Yeah. Mm, look yeah. forward to the analysts bloody releasing the reports, <laughs> and we'll just regurgitate them. So but there's another question I wanted to ask you too, JD, and that's like, what does it what does it mean for um for CMOC? Is there a read through on what <clears throat> what's happening here? Like CMOC wanting to sell this asset? Do you think the way they phrase that is that it wasn't a part of their you know strategic way forward? We've learned over over six months not to take what companies say at at face value, but in terms of Actual copper assets, I think they can make a, a lot more money from their uh, assets in places like the DRC. We've spoken in the past about companies like CMOC having uh, a lot less, you know, restrictions around how they operate in places like the DRC in comparison to a uh, ASX listed company. But I think you can kind of take them at, at face value and say, hey, they're, they're happy to get this cash in the door mm. and um, focus on their better cash producing operations overseas. And another perspective too is um, like we just talked about the IRA like clarification, right? Evolution owning this asset is eligible for IRA compliance, but CMOC owning this asset is not eligible for IRA compliance. So, you know, the two entities might actually achieve a different price if you believe in a bifurcated price environment too, depending on, you know, just which entity owns it. Mm. And CMOC would have been well aware of that in their, their negotiations. You'd, you'd anticipate that their advisors would be able to use that in what they called a highly competitive process to extract value. Mm. I can think of another gold mine with copper credits that yeah. will be on the market soon. Oh, what is that? Telfer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Imagine if yeah. evolution, of, if they continue this trend, they might be looking at that one as well. We, are, we yeah. asked Jake about that. When we spoke with them, I'm fairly sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you, you think? Be, do you think it'll be on the market? I haven't heard the latest. Um, well, who who knows? But if you think of the some of the logical ones, as as we said in the Newmont presentation, Telfer is not on their yeah. list of projects on the big graph. Yeah, because it's not a, not classed as a tier one asset because it hasn't got the mine life. So will I noticed Great, Greatland share prices run the last month or so so yeah we should we should revisit that one maddie mm, so if that is the uh got evolution if this one's got evolution's name all over it you think those ones might too they might be <laughs> going, one, do, might be a go big or go home strategy for uh yeah. evolution does that one actually make money though oh i think there's i think it needs drilling yeah it's one of those ones there's gold there's gold everywhere it's whether it has to be defined and, and a mine plan put around it I'm not, it I'm not up to date on how much drilling is done there Another perspective on that one too is I think a lot of capital has to go into, you know, Telfer and to bring Haveron online and all the rest of it if you could wrap up both Telfer and Haveron. Mm. And and when you think of what Evolution's done here, they've funded this with majority new equity. It's not like Evolution is sitting on a um, a giant pile of cash for them to go and deploy on ac both acquisitions and the, you know, whatever capital plan. So if you think of like 
like you, I think I think there's just a, an open-ended question on how evolution would, would go about funding that, even if they it was possible for them to pursue it, given the fact you've got to pay a fair bit up front, but you've also got to, you know, throw a bit in the ground to, to get the, the outcome you want there. Mm, Haveron's a difficult one just because of the distance away from Telfer yeah. and, the, and the scale of it. Um, yes, anyway, we'll, we'll see. Let's talk about some potash. Oh, <laughs> I tell you what, of all, like some days I get to work and I think, geez, I could use some potash in my life. <laughs> And like Trav's come through with the goods today and just like, cured the itch. Well, I hope today a, was one of those days. Uh, today mate. was one of those days. You're in luck. You oh. guys have talked about it. Yeah, I've got to wipe about three zeros off of the um, the deal quantums when I talk about this one. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so reward minerals is uh, wrapping up our Calliums Beyond D project, and some more details have come out in relation to reward minerals um, uh, and what the deal looks like, and of course, you know, Beyond D. Um, has, has been a, co- a contested asset because Calium has been in administration since August. Now, reward they're paying 15 million bucks up front plus 5 million deferred to fund it. Reward are aiming to raise 23 million bucks via a, a capital raising. I thought unpacking this deal could be a bit of an educational exercise to understand what actually happens when mining assets go bad. If you, if you think of the the upfront cash consideration here from reward to Calium. Let's try and figure out where does that money go? So do you remember when, when Calium went into administration, it had a market cap of about 50 million bucks. And, um, and I, I guess the question, the question to you guys, do you reckon those, those equity holders, anyone that owns shares back in August when it went, went into administration, do you reckon any of them will get any money back? No, I would no. say not. <laughs> all, right, all right. So on top of the equity holders, right? So it was 50 million, 50 million equity. They also had um, about 200 million bucks or $200 million in um, drawn debt. The lenders- 200 million <laughs> bucks. That's <laughs> like yeah, what? 200 yeah, yeah, yeah. trillion. I'm confusing bucks. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to correct you, but you're in a uh, flow. So yeah. keep going. About $210 uh, million dollars in, in drawn debt. That was to Knife and KFW. And I think the big question is, do you reckon they're going to get anything back? And and I won't I won't force you to give me an answer yet. But I've had a troll through the public disclosures uploaded um, on the on the voluntary administrator's website, and I'll tell you what I can deduce, fellas. Well, you, you've kind of given us the answer with the price that was paid up front, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, so fifteen million up front, right? Like, do you think any of that's going to go to KFW or NAFE? Cents on the dollar, like right. a marginal amount. I'm going to. I'm going to paint my case why I actually think they're going to get zilch or if you could round it down to zilch. I reckon it'll be extremely close to zero cents on the dollar, if not zero cents on the dollar. And I'll tell you why. When Calium gets put into administration, that's a costly exercise in itself. You've got to fund all of that. And it looks like the lenders, NAFE and KFW, like probably didn't provide an additional finance facility uh, for this costly exercise. They did let Calium draw down and $10 million that was still remaining in a liquidity facility that was previously undrawn. So Calium still had to fund this process, right? And the costs keep stacking up. So what did they do? Well, I could deduce that they got this new facility in place from GCI, that's Global Credit Investments Special Opportunities Fund. Assume this facility ranks super senior to the debt from NAFE and KFW. And while I can't figure out what the quantum is yet, that will roll through when the dock is out. But Currently, based on the information out there, I'm going to guess that this facility is between five and ten million bucks that was, um, you know, provided to to Calium from GCI. On top of this, in the announcements out today, you can also see that Mick Ruan's entity Tyson, so he's got a, an entity called Tyson. Um, 
that also lent Calium $8.75 million. As a loan, that loan was funding Calium, which went towards prepayment of the debt outstanding to GCI. This facility appears to rank secondary to GCI's facility, but senior to NAFE and KFW. So think of it like this. $15 million in upfront cash comes in the door. That's got to pay out whatever is left from GCI plus Tyson. Then there's transaction costs. You've got to pay the financial advisor, the receivers, the administrator, the lawyers. Then the docker is structured. This docker is, um, you know, the proposal that's put forward from Reward Minerals. That's structured so that some employees are made whole in terms of what they're owed. Then there's a pool of about 250K earmarked for unsecured creditors. And the way I read it, whatever is left when you've finished all of that goes to NAFE and KFW, which I would venture to say is sweet fuck all. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so Going into it, administration is not cheap. That is bloody – that highlights that Trav's not throwing darts here. Look, look at the work that's going <laughs> in. He probably thought yeah. at the start they're going to get <laughs> fuck all, but he has gone through it. Bloody absolutely tore it a new arsehole and uh, as – as <laughs> evidence of why it's probably they're probably going to get fuck all. Yeah, not yeah. much to share around there. I mean, like shareholders, they have to, you know, you know, put a put a put a um, like if you were a shareholder in Cali and put a line through it, you're not going to get any return. Lenders that invested a few hundred million dollars will get a mighty return that I'd venture to bet to say you can round down to zero cents on the dollar. Keep in mind, right? That that that's a return on taxpayers' money. NAFE is an Australian Commonwealth entity. Um, and you know, I'm, I'd venture to say it'll be zero cents on the on the dollar to them. Um, and very very sad for shareholders, isn't it, mate? Sad for shareholders, sad for lenders. You know, KFW is a state-owned German bank, development bank. Um, like, you know, what and why do I think it's important to pull apart this case study? I just think it's it's conceptually interesting to think that senior lenders in project finance. So these are the the lenders who literally they get security over the asset, right? Do do you think? Like, isn't it strange and, and crazy to think that your maximum downside is literally zero cents on the dollar, like that you can you can have as a senior lender? I mean, there's no other no other kind of like lending in where you get security over the asset I can think of where you think, geez, my, my actual max downside here is like uh, I will lose all of the principal. It's um it's a really, really strange dynamic that does happen in mining when the commercial realities of the project don't eventuate. Yeah. Because it goes bankrupt because the project doesn't work and then <laughs> doesn't having collateral <laughs> over the project really isn't worth the paper it's written on. Especially when you've got, yeah, um, te- a lot of technical risk, uh, you know, unproven um, for whatever reason, be it, you know, a new technique, a new geography that you're deploying things and all that sort of stuff that, that the uh, West Australian potash industry did endure. Mm. Good work, Trav. Love Stuff. your love your work, mate. Right, eh? We're gonna we'll go TMT AVL tomorrow. We sure will. The, the revolt and well, there. I'm actually it's interesting that I'm glad a bit of M&A's found its way into December to keep keep the show going. <laughs> All the bankers are trying to make sure that Christmas isn't ruined by getting the deal done right now. Yeah, I know. It sounds <laughs> like Jake Klein was really enforcing that there was a few heap of people that hadn't slept for three days <laughs> to get this sorted. So, nah, sweet as right. Oh, thanks to our sponsors at the top of the show. Yeah. ESGCs, NGCs of yes. Future Proof Consulting and K-Drill. Our new partners, Investor Hub, that we pumped out yesterday. Buddy, great. Check them out. Loved it. MDs, get onto Investor Hub. That's it. It's DSI. Been, it's been verified by Money of Mine. So. <laughs> 
got the tick of approval. It's got the, the green, it's got the blue, the green, all the ticks. Uh, DSI Underground Terra Capital, McMahon Mining Title Services, uh, Anytime Exploration Services, Seamus Murphy, KCA Site Services, Brooks Airways. Love your work. Love all yours. Cheers for uh, supporting Money Mine. Thanks, Money Miners. Who to root? Who to root? Who to root? information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.